today's New Testament reading is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we will wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This be the word of, the God, of our God. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we're grateful to you for the reading of your word, and we're grateful for what it says to us. And we're thankful, Lord, for the hope that you produce by your word. And we pray that you would help us to hear as it is spoken, and Lord, and help us to receive as your spirit works in us. Through the power of your word. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As you have heard the word of God, we are doing something different. It's something that we've talked about for a while uh, concerning the incorporation and the integration of voices in the worship service. And so this is, this is what, this is, what is, is, is happening. And you'll see more of that as... Time goes on. But this sermon today is, Why Are You Downcast, O My Soul? From Psalm 42 and Romans 8. You know, Charles Schultz, the writer of the cartoon Peanuts, he had a knack for slipping relatable chunks of spiritual truth to you through the interaction of, the, of these children and that, that were his uh, creation. In one cartoon, Lucy is sitting on the curb with her chin cupped in her hands and Charlie Brown is sitting on the curb next to her and she begins to talk and they have this, they have this conversation and Lucy says, sometimes I get discouraged. Charlie Brown answers, well, Lucy, 
Life does have its ups and downs, you know. But Lucy, why? Why should it? Why can't my life be all ups? If I want all ups, why can't I have them? And she turns and she starts yelling at at Charlie Brown. Why can't I just move from one up to another up? Why can't I just go from up to an upper up? I don't want any downs. I just want ups and ups and ups. And as Lucy's yelling, Charlie Brown turns away, discouraged, saying, I can't stand it. Ah. Does anyone relate to Lucy? Yeah, sometimes you get discouraged and, and you really would like for life to just keep going up and up to an upper up. But discouragement comes and it comes in many forms. You know, it can be a failed plan. It can be an unmet expectation. It could be a betrayal from a friend or colleague. It could be money lost or a hope not realized. And discouragement drains, it drains our emotional strength. And it seems to to stop our soul's progress. And you have to know how to handle it. You have to know, you have to know what to do about discouragement because it comes, it will come. If you haven't been discouraged, let me encourage you. You will be. See, and when you and when you're discouraged, how can you pray? Because that's that's often another question about prayer. In case you're just joining us, we're going through a series during Lent on prayer. We've been addressing different questions and issues surrounding prayer and its practice. And today we're addressing the matter of praying your discouragements. How do you pray when you're discouraged? And from our reading, our scriptures, we find that there are some very practical ways of of handling your discouragement. See, praying your discouragement means talking to yourself, permitting yourself to groan. But don't listen to yourself. Instead, direct your heart to its ultimate hope, God. So let's think about this, talking to yourself in verses five and six. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. See, talking to ourselves is something all of us do. We all have this running dialogue going on in our heads. And sometimes it it comes out at unexpected moments. And the psalmist here is doing that very thing. He's interrogating himself. He's addressing his soul. And the Hebrew word for soul is a word that means, it's a word that means the self, the seat of the emotions, the activity of the, of the will and the mind and, and character. And he wants to know why his soul is bowed down. Why is it despairing? Why is his soul weakened? And this he characterizes as disturbed. And that word means there's a, there's a murmuring going on. There's a growl, a, a roar that's within him. And talking to himself is a way of investigating the emotional state of his self. And now you can, 
You can find all kinds of psychologists to tell you just about whatever you want to hear about the benefits of talking to yourself. And some will say that it's healthy. Others will say that it can be an embarrassing habit. And whichever the case, it seems that self-talk is inescapable. And the writer of the psalmist is certainly finding a use for this internal dialogue. As we see here, and it's a good, pra- it's a good practice for the self when you are discouraged. Reason, reason asks the emotions to give an account for their actions. Why are you weighed down, soul? You notice the intensity of, of reason's interrogation of the soul. It's not just one question, but three. In Psalm 42 and 43, this question comes up three times. He's asking his soul, why are you downcast and disturbed within me? And it's, it's, and it's this growl, it's this roar, it's a groan. It's, it's the frustration that he's feeling. It's like he's saying, what's going on here? Why are you feeling this way? And this self-talk, it's on, it's on the edge. It has the edge of a groan to it. And the intensity, the intensity, it's not self-disapproval. But it's a search. It's a search. It's, it's, a, it's a journey to uncover something. It's not a wrong thing, but it's a journey to uncover something of value through asking. And so, the groan is permitted. It's permitted. So, permit yourself to groan. This is the second point. Verse 6, the latter, latter half says, My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? See, during the interrogation here, the psalmist, he, he details his groaning with poetic language, reminiscing about being in the Lord's presence. He moans about the waves and the, the roars of God's breakers and waterfalls. He's having this emotional experience where it's as, as if he's standing at the river's banks, just below where the, the water tumbles over the cliff and falls on the rocks below, pounding with a a rapid, repeated rush that if you were standing under it, you aren't able to catch your breath. You ever had those kind of emotions sweep over you? He attributes it all to God. That the Lord, it's the Lord's waterfall. It's the Lord's breakers and waves. He permits, he permits himself to groan. And in the groaning, He's weighing, he's weighing his past and his present experience with being with God and who now seems to be gone. He's longing God's presence. He longs for God's presence. And this longing for God's presence, see, that's a good reason to groan. Amen. It's a good reason to groan. It's a good reason to permit yourself to groan. One commentator said this. He said, the feeling of forsakenness is no proof of being forsaken. Mourning an absent God is an evidence of love as strong as rejoicing in a present one. With God, 
for us to desire is to have, and to hunger and thirst is to be filled. So he weighs, he weighs his past and his present experience with God. And Paul is doing the same thing in Romans 8 when he says, For I consider that our present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. And he, then he, can, he concludes as he weighs this that there are some good reasons to groan. In Romans 8, 20, verse 22, he says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So you see, a good reason, here's a good reason to groan. A good reason to groan is waiting for the glorious freedom of the children of God. Waiting to be liberated. Hallelujah. Don't you want to groan? Here's another good reason Paul says here in Romans 8.23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I've heard you groan before. Yeah, you're waiting for, yeah, these aches and pains. Yeah, it, it's, a, yeah, that happens. Yeah, you're waiting. You're waiting for the redemption of your bodies. It's another good reason to groan. Another reason, Paul says, to groan, that to permit the, to permit the groaning is Romans eight twenty six. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. For, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The groaning, it's not just because your bones don't want to cooperate when you try to get up out of the chair. No, groaning, groaning is the, is the Spirit praying for us, helping us in our weakness, our weakness of waiting, our weakness to be patient. Our weakness, the Spirit, is helping us. That's a good reason to groan. You know, you know what the groaning is. Here's what the scripture is telling us. Groaning is, is unintentional prayer. It's an unintentional prayer for deliverance. That's what the groaning, that's what the groaning is. It's an unintentional prayer for you didn't plan on it. You know, it happens. The groaning happens. It's our longing. We, this is not right. Why should I feel this way? This pain can't last forever. I'm not going. All of that is groaning. It's an unintentional prayer for deliverance. Paul Tripp in his book, The Journey to the Cross, he says this about groaning, that here's how we ought to think about our groanings and how we ought to understand them. He said, here's what's important to understand. Your groaning is either anger that you've not gotten your way or a cry that God would get his holy, loving, wise, and righteous way. Groaning is either, will my kingdom ever come or it is your kingdom come. That's gro- yeah, yeah. Whose will is it? Brothers and sisters, you have permission to groan. Go ahead. And it's a Presbyterian thing to do. <laughs> That's a Presbyterian amen. Mm. Yeah. See, 
But there's a word of caution here as we, as we pray our discouragement. Because we can talk to ourselves and we can, we can permit ourselves to groan, but we're careful to not listen to ourselves. Look at verse, verse 8 of chapter 42 of Psalms. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. This is one of my favorite verses in the scripture. He's praying, he's talking, and he's, and he's praying, he's reasoning, and he's, he's, he sees God. He sees his hope. And the sentence breaks, and it says, a prayer. God's song is with a prayer to the God of my life. Now, this will sound paradoxical, even because even though you talk to yourself, even though you permit yourself to groan, don't listen to yourself. And the reason why is because our propensity to deceive ourselves and our propensity to believe the worst things about us that, that have been, that's been told to us by others, by foes. It makes our internal dialogue the least reliable conversation that we can have. He said, what do you mean? Well, here's, here's what I mean. So, so uh, you know, and I don't mean this to be an insult, you have never had an original thought. That, that we, none of us, we have never had an original thought. God is the only one who has ever had an original thought. And from his thought, everyone, else, everyone else's thoughts happen. See, thoughts were always passing between the members of the Trinity. So, so our thoughts are in response to his thoughts. You say, Pastor, are you discounting creativity? I'm not discounting creativity at all. But you know, for, every, for every creative, everyone, if you're honest with yourself, when you create, you have to acknowledge that the material you've been working with, you didn't make. You didn't create it. It was already present. Yours is a response. Yours is a reflection. And so... Yours is not the only voice in your head. That's a good thing to learn and to know and that, that every, every thought that pops into your head didn't always originate with you. I mean, it's the product of a whole lot of things, history, your culture, your family experience. It's a, it's a lot of things that, in, that, that, that feed our thoughts. It took me a long time. To get the critical voice of my father out of my head. And I've told you before, we were, my father had his own janitor's business and we were the employees. And, and so, you know, I would clean up something, you know, and you can imagine, you're a kid, you're seven, eight years old. You know, you don't see everything that you think you see or what you think you're seeing is not exactly what, it, what, what grownups see. But my father would stand over me as I've, I've cleaned, I've cleaned somebody's bathroom or, or whatever, and he's standing over me telling me that I, I missed this spot. And I'm looking at it, and for the life of me, I can't see it. But his standing over me and telling me this over and over again, it discouraged me. And it took me a long time to get my father's voice like that out of my head, although I still can't walk across somebody's grass because I hear, boy, get off that grass. <laughs> uh, so... You know, but, but this is, this is what happens. Yours is not the only voice in your head. The enemy, the enemy is there too. 
and he has a high-priced tool. This story is told, it's fictional, I'm sure, because it was advertised that the devil was going to, to put his tools up for sale. And on the date of the sale, the tools were placed for public inspection, each being marked with its sale price. There were a treacherous lot of implements, hatred, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, pride, and, and so on. But laid apart from the rest of the pile was a harmless-looking tool, well-worn and, and priced very high. The name of the tool, asked one of the purchasers. Oh, said the adversary, that's discouragement. Why have you priced it so high? Because it's more useful to me than the others. I can pry open and get inside a person's heart with that one when I cannot get near him with other tools. Now, once I get inside, I can make him do what I choose. It's a badly worn tool because I use it on almost everyone since few people know it belongs to me. See, the devil's price on discouragement was so high he never sold it. And it's still his major tool. He still uses it on God's people today. But over and above, over and above the self-talk We need what the psalmist here in the text calls the Lord's song. The Lord's song that's with us at night of prayer to the God of my life. And what is the Lord's song? What is his song? It's the song of deliverance. It's the song of salvation. It's a song of hope. It's Zephaniah 317 where it describes it this way. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Wow. This is God's song. Job said he gives it in the night. See, you see, know, over and against those voices, the voices of your foes, those negative voices, over and against those, you need to hear the Lord's song over you. And you need to hear it in the community of God's people with the saints, because there you find you're built up in your hope. You're built up in faith. Listen to what he says in verse 4 of Psalm 42. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go. See, this is a good verse for the pandemic. You're staying at home and you think you might get coronavirus if you go to church. This is a good verse. When can I go? When can I? Well, I used to go with the multitude leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. I used to go. When can I go? You see, there are voices of of foes and and voices of of fellow followers of God. Pick the voice that builds up your hope. So as you pray your discouragement, you talk to yourself, you permit yourself to groan, but don't listen to yourself. Instead, direct your heart. This is what these other voices do. Directing your heart. To, the, to your ultimate hope in God. Look at verses 9 through 11. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Is he listening to the Lord's song of deliverance? Hope comes to life. Discouragement. It helps hope overcomes despair. And you get the feeling as you read the psalm that the psalmist is, he's not new to discouragement. He's not new to, these folks have, have been around, you know, yeah, they've been around the block a few times. And they've, they've got some scrapes and, and some bruises. That, so, but, but they've learned. You know, and there are times, there are times in your Christian walk that you have to make your heart feel something that it doesn't. You have to direct your heart. That's what the psalmist is doing here. It's what Job did. <laughs> you even think about it. Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. Yeah. yeah. See, he, he listened to himself a lot. <laughs> and, 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 you know, but in the, in the very end, he's, he, he wrote the book. Right? So he's, he's seeing that, you know, I really shouldn't have paid attention to myself. I should have been listening. Yeah, yeah that all of those who, 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 who forsake the grace of God are given over to idols. His hatred for for Nineveh was changing. He realized how wrong he was. David learned this. He learned not to put his hope in anything other than God. They all learned that the trouble and discouragements of life are things in which you have to direct your heart to hope in God. The words of the hymn, Come ye disconsolate, speaks graciously to us. Come, ye disconsolate, where'er ye languish, come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel. Here, bring your wounded hearts. Here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Joy of the desolate, light of the strain, hope of the penitent, Fadeless and pure, here speaks the comforter, tenderly saying, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot cure. Hallelujah. Let me ask you, are you discouraged? What have you recently lost? What what have you recently disappointed or, or discouraged about? Are you like Lucy? Wondering why you can't just move from one up to another up to an upper up. Take your discouragements to the Lord in in prayer. And listen to the assurance in, in, in the word. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. My savior and my God. The hope is certain. It is certain and we can be sure the reason the hope is certain and the reason we can be sure that God is here, that he's for us, that, that, that he will complete what he has promised. The reason you and I can be certain of it is we, and the reason you and I can pray our discouragement, the reason we can talk to ourselves and permit ourselves to groan, and, but not listen to ourselves, but instead place our hope in God is because Jesus Christ suffered the waves and breakers of God's wrath sweeping over him on the cross. You see, Psalm 42 is about Jesus Christ. If you've suffered discouragement, you're not alone. Jesus has suffered. He has suffered more. He knows what it's like to be discouraged. 
See, Jesus is the one who has experienced the ultimate discouragement at the hands of people who should have loved him. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. All of his disciples flee from him. The government wrongfully puts him to death. He suffered the taunts of of his foes, Psalm 42.10. His bones suffered the mortal agony, the stabbing daggers of, of the question, where is your God? Isn't that what was said to him on, while he was on the cross in Matthew 27, 41 through 44? In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. See, you see what was happening? His God, his God left him utterly forsaken on the cross. You see, Jesus suffers the ultimate discouragement. He really, he fulfills the cry of Job. Though he slays me, yet will I trust him. Why does he do it? It's because he has mourned. Jesus has mourned the absence of the ones he loves. Longing to bring them near. He mourns. He mourned the absence of the ones he loves, you and me. He did it for us. He suffers the ultimate discouragement in order to bring us into God's everlasting encouragement of no more downs. Hallelujah. See, this is a loose translation of Revelation 20, 20, 21. There's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more crying, no more tears. There are no more downs, but only ups to an upper up. See, because of Jesus, you and I can pray our discouragement. And at the same time, our souls are lifted, knowing that it is true. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful to you for the internal encouragement that you have given to us. Everlasting hope in Christ. Oh, Lord, make this the reality in our hearts as we come to you in prayer. Oh, teach us, Lord Jesus, as we behold you to open our hearts up with all of the struggle and all of the suffering, with all of our hurt. And let your words, the gospel, be the salve. That brings to us heaven's healing. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.